Thank you for joining this sermon podcast from Cornerstone Fellowship in Forest City, North Carolina. We hope that you are blessed and encouraged by today's message. Cornerstone exists to glorify God as we passionately pursue Him and make Him known through worship, discipleship, fellowship, and outreach. Here's today's message. This morning I'm going to ask you to, if you would, to turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, we have just finished a five-sermon series in the book of Jude. And I'm not sure where we will go for the next sermon series, but uh, for now, I know where God has us this morning. I've learned in following God, it's sort of like driving in the dark. If you turn your headlights on and wait till you can see all the way home, you won't move. You just have to go as far as you can see sometimes, and then you can see a little further, and you'll finally get there. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. Now let me say this to you. This would actually be the second letter that Paul's written to Corinth. We think he wrote four letters at least to Corinth. Because if you read in chapter 5 of this letter, he tells them that, well, I have already written you about some of this. We don't have that letter. That's not a shocker. When he writes to the church at Colossae, he says, take the letter that I've sent to you and take it to Laodicea and then take the letter that I wrote to Laodicea and you bring it back here. Well, we don't have that letter either. We think we have the second letter and the fourth letter that Paul wrote to Corinth. But we're not sure. And I'm glad we don't have to settle that before we preach today. But he does say this, when I came to you, he's talking about his previous visit, he said, brethren, I didn't come to you with superiority of speech or of wisdom proclaiming to you the testimony of God. For I determined to actually know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in a demonstration of the Spirit and of power. I'll pause there to tell you The city of Corinth was inundated with professional speakers. Men that could stand and bring you in with their vocabulary and their oratory skills. And Paul is coming to them and saying, I I didn't do that. I I wasn't trying to outdo anyone. I wasn't in a horse race when I was there. As a matter of fact, I kept it simple because I wanted you to know that if something does happen, it will not be because of something that I said, but it will be because of something that God Almighty has done. He says, so that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men but on the power of God. Yet, verse 6, we do speak wisdom among those who are 
mature, we say some things of wisdom, of course. A wisdom, however, that's not of this age, nor of the rulers of this age who are passing away. But we speak God's wisdom, and we speak it in a mysterion, a mystery. The hidden wisdom which God predestined before the ages of our glory. The wisdom which none of the rulers of this age has understood. For if they had, if they had understood it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But just as it is written, things which eye has not seen and ear has not heard and which have not entered into the heart of man, all that God has prepared for those who love him. For to us God revealed them through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. For who among you really knows a man or knows the thoughts of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him. Even so, the thoughts of God, no one knows except the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of this world, but the spirit who is from God, so that we may know the things freely given to us by God. Not everybody's going to get it. You can preach to them till you're blue in the face. You have to have the Spirit of God to understand God and to understand what He's saying. Verse 13, last of all, which things we also speak, not in words, taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the Spirit, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. Go back to the first of this, and Paul says, I kept it simple. I preached the gospel. Albert Simpson, known as sometimes as A.B. Simpson, he was a Canadian preacher and theologian. You may have seen some of his stuff. He said one time that this is the gospel. It tells rebellious men that God is reconciled, that justice is satisfied, that sin has been atoned for, that the judgment of the guilty may be revoked, the condemnation of the sinner is canceled, the curse of the law blotted out, the gates of hell closed, the portals of heaven open wide, the power of sin subdued, the guilty conscience healed, the brokenhearted comforted, and the sorrow and the misery of the fall is finally undone. Wow. If I could say it better, I'd have quoted myself, but I can't. That's the gospel. When we think about the gospel, I, I think sometimes people think, oh, that's one of those first four books in the Bible. Those are accounts of the gospel. Uh, the church later would name them that. But the word gospel in the original language meant good news. Euangelion, you is, uh, or euo is good. Like eulogy means good words. I'm going to try to think of some of them at your funeral. So that's a eulogy. And help me out if you don't mind, okay? But euangelion, angelos, is messenger. So euangelion is good message or good news. 
And it is both, and we should not forget that. It is good in that we have now a way to be reconciled to God Almighty. That we can stand before Him as Jude closed out our sermon series last week. We can stand before the throne of God blameless. That is the good news of the gospel because we don't have to try to dress up our own righteousness or, or work on maybe trying to stop this or that or, or starting something new in our life. It's not about our works. It's not about us at all. It is completely about the righteousness of God and us receiving that as a gift of grace. That's what's so good about it. You could talk about that all day long. Unfortunately, for some, it's still news. And for many, it's news that they've never heard. This, this astounds people sometimes. And I've heard preachers argue about this. I guess it just bothers them to even think about it in this way. But I see too many stats from too many places done by too many studies to doubt it. According to the Joshua Project, for example, there right now are about 7.7 billion people in the world. 3.2 Actually, 3.23 billion of those people have never heard the gospel. And because of the people group and where they're located, they likely never will. It's amazing. That's 41% of the population of the world. They need to hear the gospel. And I think if we better understood how awesome the gospel is. I mean, you think about it in our lives. If something happens to us that we're really excited about it, and I know this is just a simple illustration, but if something in our life happens that we're really excited about, man, we can talk to perfect strangers about it. We can tell people about it that don't even want to hear about it. And we just go on and on because we're so excited about it. What we have to say. The story was so incredible. It's only happened to maybe you and two other people in the world, maybe, or, or, or whatever. It's just, it's just incredible. The, the, we, it, we don't have to practice it. We don't have to take a course at church in how to tell our story. If we feel like that, boy, this guy or person, whoever, this woman needs to hear what i got to say, man, we will worry the world to death with it. But when it comes to the gospel, all of a sudden we get a bad case of mind our own business. I think it's because we just don't understand it like we need to. I want us to take a fresh look at the gospel this morning. And we're going to start with the message of the gospel. I think this will help us maybe to get busy sharing it more. The message of the gospel, verse 2, Jesus Christ, he said, and him crucified. That's what I came to preach. Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Jesus comes from the word Yahweh saves. Christ comes from the Hebrew word Messiah. It is the same word, but in the Greek language, Christos. It means the one that is anointed by God. And Him crucified is the event where He took our sin guilt upon Himself and He died on the cross. He says, that's what I came to Corinth to preach. 
And sometimes us preachers, and I say us because we all do it sometimes, we get a little carried away with some fresh topic and some controversial this, that, or the other, and we get all tangled up sometimes and we overcomplicate things. I don't know if the story is true or just a legend, but it makes a point that is very true and very powerful. But it is said that the Jews slipped and got the horn that Moses blew to summon the people. And they took it out, and it was just an old ram's horn, just as plain Jane as you could be. And they decided that they would cover it with gold. So they laminated it inside and out with gold. And then they took it back and they gave it to Moses. Now this is not in the Bible But it's a Jewish legend, maybe true, maybe not. But it says that once they took it back, it was beautiful, it was gorgeous, it was expensive. There was only one thing it wouldn't do. It wouldn't blow anymore. It didn't work. And I think sometimes if we're not careful, we overly complicate things. I think we do need to get some depth in our life of the Word of God. Yeah, I'm troubled that in most churches I can go and say, turn to the book of Hezekiah and people will start looking for it for 30 minutes. It's not in the Bible. We should know that. We should know that. If I ever send you to read Mark chapter 17, uh, I ought to tell you that and then ask you next week how many of you read it and just see how many liars we actually have. There is no chapter 17. But we, I, I think we need to learn those things. I think we need to know some of those things. And I like doing those. And by the way, men, we're going to be starting back on September the 1st with our Wednesday night Bible study. And that's where we kind of get down into weeds with some things. And I really enjoy doing that. See how I worked an announcement right into the sermon? A sermon on not complicating it. amazing keeping it simple Christ and him crucified in the very first chapter the previous chapter in verse 18 I want to read you what Paul said about the crucified part he said for the word of the cross preaching about the cross he said it's to those who are perishing it's foolishness It's foolishness. It doesn't make any sense. How can life come from an instrument of death? How can reconciliation come from one who has been condemned? How can you get life from something that causes life to go away? How can that happen? He says to those who are perishing, it is foolishness. But to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. He says in verse 19, For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the cleverness of the clever, and I will set it aside. And then he asks the question, he said, Where is the wise man? Where is the scribe? I told you those were like lawyers. Where is the debater of this age? Has God not made foolish the wisdom of God? 
the world. And think about it. When the world looks at us and says, you are a bunch of fools because you believe in this, that, or the other, or you think the Bible is true, or you believe that Jesus died to save us from our sins and He was some kind of sacrifice, and that, oh, don't get me started, that He rose again on the third day, and then that ascension thing and all of that. If you really believe in all of that, you are foolish. Well, just look at what Paul is saying. He says, look around at the world and look how foolish this place is. Paul is saying, where is the debater of this age? Your world right now seems to be pretty much upside down. You live in the most educated, the wealthiest, the, the country with the most opportunities in the world, and you're inside out right now. You don't know where you're going or what you're doing, and you thought you voted in the brightest and the best people in the world to lead your country, and look where it's going. And it's not the first time we've done that. The cross is the end of human wisdom. It confounds human wisdom. It won't make sense on a human level. And he says on in verse 22 of chapter 1, For indeed the Jews ask for a sign, and the Greeks they search for wisdom. But we preach Christ, and we preach Him crucified. To Jews, he says, that is a stumbling block. The Jews said, cursed is anyone who hangs on a cross. How can that be a Savior if he's been cursed by God Himself? He said, that's a stumbling block for them. And he says, to the Gentiles, and boy, I can't account for this because I've tried more than one time with the Gentiles. I am one. To them, it's foolishness. Jesus dying for sins. God killing His own Son as a sacrifice. That's barbaric. That sounds like the Canaanites. That's, that, that sounds like a bunch of savages. How is it that you could possibly believe that? Jesus was a great person. He got in trouble with the Romans and He died a martyr because of some of the things He said. That's what they would tell you. They say it's foolishness. But to those who are the called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and He is the wisdom of God. Man, I want to tell you something. Crucifixion, that was the worst. The Romans didn't crucify everybody. They saved that for the ones they really, really wanted to humiliate. There's a story, and this is a historical story, it's not a Jewish legend, Julius Caesar was kidnapped one time. Now, <laughs> just think about that. you got to be a part of a really bad gang. I mean, I don't know if they could, I don't know if Antifa could hang with these guys. When you kidnap the emperor of the Roman Empire and you demand, I forgot how many pieces of gold, to, to release him. And it says that Julius Caesar told them, there were 40 of them, and he told all 40 of them, he said, as soon as I am released, I will make you a promise. I will hunt every last one of you down to the man. And I will kill you. And they laughed so hard. 
But he was released. And to the man, he killed every one of them. And you know how he killed them? Oh, yeah. The worst way he could. Maybe Jesus could have died in a less painful, more dignified way. But you see, he was dying for me. And I'm the worst of the worst. I'm a sinner. I know Paul said he was chief of sinners, but I give him a run for his money. At times, even now as a born-again believer, I'm ungrateful. Sometimes I'm not as thankful about some of the blessings that God has given me that I do not deserve. I waste time sometimes doing things when I could be in the Word. There's all kinds of things that I do. And before I got saved, you don't even want to know. You don't even want to know. And I know some of you, you were the same way, right? You were the same way. Before you met the Lord, were you not a piece of work? Don't sit there quiet. I'll bring it up at your funeral. Oh yeah, I understand all of that. Well, Jesus was dying for a sinner like me. And the only way to do that is break out the cross. He's got to die in the most undignified way, the most painful way possible because He's dying in the place of a wretch. Named Michael Snellgrove. That's the message of the Gospel. Secondly, the method of the Gospel. He said in verse 4, I didn't come with persuasive words of wisdom. I didn't come with words like the orators come with. And I didn't come and try to do like some pastors I think nowadays do. I didn't try to harmonize God's message with the world's message. I didn't try to marry the two. I didn't try to uh, water down the gospel so people of the world could maybe buy into it a little bit or, or soften the blow or try to get the two to, to come together. Paul says, no, the two are not together. He said, unless people have the Spirit of God, they're never going to understand what God's got to say. They are blind and deaf to it. Paul said, I just came and I kept it simple, not with persuasive words. He said, I preached it was God's way or no way. And that's provocative. I mean, that's an insult not only to Paul's world, but to our world as well. Man, I think sometimes preachers forsake their post. I hope I never do. I hope I always preach the truth. God gave us one string to play, one message to preach, and we need to offer that message without negotiation because it will not help anybody for me to make somebody feel saved who is not. As a matter of fact, I will be accountable for that. Keeping it simple. I'll say this and move on. When you're from South Carolina, if you don't keep it simple, you're going to sound like you did. Can I tell you something from my heart? I hate hearing me preach. I sound like Jethro Bodine. 
I will listen to me. Don't say, nah, David Cooper. Just let me have this moment. I'm telling you, I listen to myself and I'm like, man, what a hick. How y'all doing? I, I don't hear that when I'm up here preaching, but I am telling you, if you can't tell I'm from South Carolina, why we from down there in South Carolina? And I've tried, I've tried, I've worked, I promise you, you just, I've worked on my vocabulary, I've worked on, I've studied you, you can't know how seriously I took my education and, and, and how much I read even to this very day. I, I know it's easy once you get out of school to, to quit studying. I didn't quit. I, I, don't, I don't know how many books a week I read. I'm, I'm just here to tell you I keep the Kindle fiery hot. You can ask my wife, I'm just telling you, I, I, I want to know as much as I can. And I would love to be able to listen to one of my sermons and go, man, that sounds like Charles Stanley. Man, he's from Georgia. But he sounds way better than I do. But I say all that to say this to you. I don't really apologize for it. Because it's guys like me that God called and said, keep it simple, Mike. When I first went into ministry, I wore a suit everywhere I went. I had the lingo down. I'd go play golf with other preachers. Oh, it's the worst. I'm embarrassed. It's your turn, brother. And finally, one day, I asked myself, you don't talk like that anywhere else. Why do you go out there? Well, what are we going to have to eat today for lunch, men? Stupid. I thought I had to sound like a preacher. Man, I had hair. Kept her slick back. I had the televangelist look going. I had her sprayed down. My hair would have killed you if you'd have ran into it. I wore suits. I wore ties. And, and, if, and if I need to, I'll, I'll wear a tie now. I, honestly, I, I, I will. As a matter of fact, I'm going out of town to preach in a few weeks of revival. And I'm already buying some clothes, okay? But I'm proud to stand here in front of you today. And maybe I'm a little prideful about it. But I do not own one necktie. That's right. I'll wear two of them if it'll help me preach the gospel. Paul kept it simple. Secondly, and that brings us to the third or the third point. Thirdly, the messengers of the gospel. He said, I stood before you like Mike. I know you didn't see that. You have to translate it out of the Greek. Fear and weakness. And in much trembling, he said, I might have come off like I had it all together. But he said, I promise you, I was shaking like a leaf on a tree when I stood before you. I, I was the opposite of self-confident. And, and I was not a cultured orator. I knew that and, and, and knew, you knew that as well. There's a historical document called the Acts of Paul and Thesea. And it is said in that book that somebody knew what Paul looked like. Paul is said to be a man small of stature, 
with a bald head and crooked legs in a good state of body. I don't understand that one. With eyebrows that met in the middle and a big nose that was crooked. Just like that girl you took to the prom, Cooper. That's what he looked like. He didn't, he didn't look like Elvis. I'm dating myself now. Some of these kids are going, Who, who's Elvis? I can tell you, those are the messengers of the gospel. And there's some that are suave and debonair. And, 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 they're, and they're, I doesn't mean they're wrong. There's some, man. I, I love listening to Vody Bauckham. What a vocabulary. What a preacher. What a, what a man of God. And, and man, he can just, he doesn't have to get loud. He doesn't even have to, he'll grab the pulpit. And of course, man, he is so big. He just suffocates that thing. But he'll grab that pulpit and he'll preach. And man, alive. I'm here to tell you. Uh, I could listen to him all day long. He is a man with an eloquent vocabulary and does a tremendous job. But I can tell you, God is not looking for great ability, not in any of us. He is looking for availability. Are we willing to give ourselves to Him? This is kind of the vulnerability that Paul Stripped Paul, just standing up like he did. It stripped him of all of his self-importance and pride, and, and it took away his competitive spirit and his self-reliance. He said, I've heard that there are people out there that are preaching, and I've heard they're doing a way better job than I am, and I've heard that they're baptizing more than I am. And he said, I've heard that, that, that uh, they preach better messages than I do and that they're smarter than me. I've heard all of that. But he said, that doesn't faze me a bit. What I'm telling you is, you don't need your PhD to be a witness for Christ. Keep it simple. The message, the method, the messengers, the mystery of the gospel. Verse 7, but we speak God's wisdom and we speak it in a mystery. Mysterion is... The word in the Greek, it, it means something that, of course, is hidden. And listen to this. The hidden wisdom which God predestined before the ages to our glory. These sacred secrets about Jesus coming and Him being God. Even though He took on the form of flesh, but He was God. And He came and lived among us. And He died on the cross. And He didn't die for His sins, but He died for our sins. And if we put our faith and trust in Him, and if we're willing to die to self, if we're willing to take up our cross, and if we're willing to follow Him, then we can live eternally with God. He said all of this is a mystery to the world. They think it's foolishness. It never makes sense to them. He said, I'm not even trying to reach them with it because without the Spirit of God, they're never going to understand it Anyway, those that just willfully reject it, let them reject it. And I love this part. He said, in this secret, it was predestined to happen before the ages of our glory, of, uh, uh, to our glory. See, in the modern world, if you have a new idea, that's impressive. In the ancient world, the older the idea, 
the more impressive it was. As a matter of fact, when the Jews would argue back and forth, they would keep quoting different rabbis. And the one that won the argument would be the one that could finally reach back far enough and find a quote that was older than any of the other quotes that anybody else came up with. And the oldest quote won the argument. But they would always footnote Hillel and Shammah and all of these different uh, uh, rabbis from the ancient past. As a matter of fact, I'll give you this little tidbit. Remember when Jesus finished preaching the Sermon on the Mount? Remember what they said about Him? They said He preaches as one having authority. Let, let, Let me emphasize that the way they meant it. He preaches as if He has authority. He did not footnote a single rabbi in the whole sermon. For Him to be able to speak truth like that and for Him to not footnote a single rabbi and for His words to to be divinely inspired, He would have to be good. No. He couldn't be God, could He? Oh yeah. He could and He was. He didn't have to footnote anybody. You remember in John 8, I love how Jesus got away sometimes with the Jews. In John 8, chapter 8, they were telling Jesus about, well, we believe in Abraham, and we have Abraham as our father. Remember what Jesus told him? He said, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was born, I was? No. He said, before Abraham was, I am. That means there's never a time when I wasn't. You think Abraham is old. I've been here forever. Before time. Wow, what a beautiful truth. And then we will move on. The great plan of redemption then, these mysteries of the gospel. Isn't it awesome to know now? Paul says before time even began, God already had this plan in place. Isn't it a wonderful truth to know that after Adam and Eve sinned, Jesus didn't have to start slapping his pockets and go to his study and start looking around for a plan B? Isn't it great to know that the plan of redemption, God already had it in place before time even began. We didn't catch him off guard. Oh no. He already had it in place. Wow. And last of all, the message, the method, the messengers, the mystery. Last of all, the might of the gospel. Verse 4, he said, I came to you, my message was not with persuasive words, but with power and demonstration of the Spirit. I came to you and you could see it. When a person heard the words I had to say that came from God, If they obeyed those words, it changed their life. It will do that every time. Now, I want you to think about that. We we would say, oh yeah, amen, it'll do it every time. I don't know that we believe that like we ought to. 
We all have friends of ours that they've already kept us from witnessing to them because they told us they're saved, right? I don't go to church and all that. I thought about this this week. Had another lost person tell me that he listens to Charles Stanley every week. You know what I believe? I believe every lost person in America listens to Charles Stanley. Because every one of them I try to lead to Jesus, I got to get them out of Charles Stanley's study first. Oh, I listen to him all the time. My mother listened to him. Well, if it counts for anything, and I don't mean to be prideful, but I met Charles Stanley. I have a book somewhere that he signed for me, Okay. So that must mean that I'm not only saved, I must be super saved. I'm not speaking a word against Charles Stanley, but I'm just telling you when a person accepts Christ as their Savior and they experience that transformation that God brings in their life, they do more than just listen to Charles Stanley on Sunday morning. Their life has been changed. And don't look at me and say, well, Mike, we're not supposed to judge. Well, Jesus said, but you will know them by the fruit. You're going to know them by the fruit that they bear. And there is nobody, let me tell you, there's not one person in this world that has been born again who is truly saved that their life did not experience a transformation from God. I didn't say they were perfect. But I can tell you all these people that keep telling me that, oh yeah, well, I'm a Christian. I, I, and don't get me wrong, preacher. I, I, I'm a Christian. And if I get out of jail for killing these five people, I'm going to come to church. Well, I've heard about Jesus through them little cell phones at the j- or uh, telephones at the jail. I, I've heard about them, oh, in court. Uh, I met Steve Owens gets to hear all about people that day. Well, Lord have mercy. I'm, I'm a Christian. I, I know I'm, I'm not doing what I need to do and all of that. And, and the church, boy, God help us. I hope he will forgive us for it. But we have sort of notched out a spot for those people. They can come to our churches and we just uh, welcome them, which is great. But we never confront them about what's going on in their life. And when they tell us they're saved, it just shuts us up. I'm telling you, once you have been born again... Your life is transformed forever. This word demonstration is a word that means legal proof. It's a legal term actually in the Greek. Legal proof. In other words, if you went to court for being a Christian, There'd be enough evidence to find you guilty. That's the gospel. Man, we need to be telling people that. God Almighty, the creator of the universe, came to this world to die for wretches like us. He loves us. He gave us His righteousness as a gift 
of grace so that one day we can be with him again. All that got messed up in the Garden of Eden, the fellowship that he had with his creation was all destroyed by sin. But, but Paul tells us in Romans 8, he says, all of creation, it's, it's groaning out, it's crying out to God for the day that he will redeem this creation. All of creation. He will redeem it and lift that curse. When I look at the news this week especially, people being burned alive, shot, just the wickedness, it's just off the chart. And to think about those poor souls that, that are there and have nowhere to go. Did you see them handing their babies to soldiers over the barbed wire? Even if I don't make it, take this child. He can't stay here. That's a wicked world. I have it. Looked it up, but I'd almost bet you this past week more people died from gunfire in Chicago than died in Afghanistan. As a matter of fact, when we were fighting the war in Iraq, a young man that was the age of our soldiers had a better chance of coming home from Iraq alive than a young man of the same age who lived in the city of Chicago. Our world is a mess. Our world's a mess. But one of these days, God is going to stand at His feet and say, that's enough. I'm coming to get my bride. I'm the bride of Christ. That ought to help get you started. If you want to tell somebody an interesting story, tell them, look, I'm headed to a wedding and I'm the bride. And if you look like me, that'll floor them right there. I know it won't have the effect it would have had 10 years ago, but I was a groom at my first wedding. I'm going to be a bride at my next one. Join together with my father forever. We got to tell the world that. Let's pray. Lord, we come to you. And I ask you right now, Father, starting right here in this place, God, if there's someone here that doesn't know you as their Savior, who doesn't have a relationship with you, who who cannot point to a time in their life when you transformed their heart. I pray, I pray God today would be that day. I pray, Lord, today you would touch hearts. I believe, God, in this country we are, we are underreached and overchurched to death. So many, God, that are sitting in sanctuaries this morning here and preachers, they don't have a relationship with you. All of that guilt and shame has 
It's been soothed and numbed by religion. God, I pray that you would help that person to cry out right now and say as we sang today, I surrender. I surrender, God. I'm not coming with arguments. I'm not bringing you a list of the things that I haven't done or, or a list of some good things I have done. God, I just come before you a wretch. I have nothing good to bring, God. I fall before you, Lord. I want you, Lord, to come into my heart and life and to save me. Change my life, God. Be my Savior. I pray now, God. And she would help us also to take this message and share it with the world. They need to hear it so badly. Help us to share it with them, God. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. If you have any questions or would like to know more about Cornerstone, please visit our website at ServantsWay.com or email us at office at ServantsWay.com. Cornerstone Fellowship is located at 1186 Hudlow Road, Forest City, North Carolina. Please join us again next week.